0: Lord Jesus, um, today and every day is about you. Lord, forgive us um, for even thinking um, that any moment is about us. Lord, it's all about you. Lord, we're here today uh, because you did rise again. Lord, if you stayed in that grave, you would be like so many other great leaders that we have here on this earth. You would be like so many other great religious leaders on this earth. But Lord, you rose again. So Lord, we thank you for that. And we ask that you would speak to us now. Your Holy Spirit would would guide us and and, and bring us uh, uh, to a place where you want us to be. There are people in here who need your comfort. I pray they would receive it. There are people in here um, who need uh, Lord, they need brokenness. Lord, they, they, they need to fall at your feet. So Lord, I, I pray you would bring them there. Um, so Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for this time this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are so glad you're with us on Easter. My name is uh, Grant Nixon, uh, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and, and uh, my, uh, my, I have a wife, a beautiful wife. Uh, she's down here on the, the front row. When you, when you just walk like this way and just turn this way, and you're just like, is that an angel? It's my wife, all right? And I'm saying all that because I have several illustrations with her in it later. Uh, so anyway, so she's beautiful, and I love her. We have three kids, three wonderful kids. We have a a two year old and we have uh, twins that just turned one this past week. Um, And so life is pretty crazy uh, around my house. And you know, uh, when they get older, they're going to ask the questions that everybody asks. Uh, you know, like where do babies come from and things like that. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but they're going to ask like, what was that day like? I remember uh, before uh, we had our first child, I remember having that conversation with my parents wondering, what was that day like? What was it like when, when uh, you went to the hospital um, and then you had the, you know, the joy of seeing my beautiful face for the first time, right? And, and, and you know what? They told me a story that I, I think I'll tell my kids, you know, my, my dad says something like, your, your mother was glowing, and she was beautiful, and, and, and the, the doctor just took you out of, out of her tummy, and, and you just were beautiful and wonderful, and, and, and birds sang. You know what I mean? And I'm going to tell my kids the same thing. You know why? Because the truth is gross, all right? Like, they don't need to know that, right? So I'm going to tell them, your mom was glowing, as, as we went to the doctor, and the doctor gently removed you from her, and, and, and we were so happy and giddy, and we, we skipped all the way home, right? Like, that's what we're gonna say. Because the truth is, your mom wasn't glowing, she was sweaty, all right? Like, she was sweating. And like, and she hadn't, she just, she waddled to the hospital, right? And, and your dad was so nervous, uh, like he was in the bathroom most of the time, right? Like, and, and afterwards, like we were just so scared. We didn't know, what, I didn't know how the car seat went, right? I just thought we were probably just going to take you home in the trunk. I had no idea what I was doing. And then I got home, we got medical bills, and dad had to sell his Xbox, and dad was really mad at you for a while, right? Like, that's the truth, right? But but that's not what we tell them because that's cleaner and, and it's nicer. And, but what's the better story? The better story is the second story, right? Because there's depth there, there's love there. You know, that story here, here's what that story says. You know what? You caused your mom a ton of discomfort, but you're worth it because we love you. We were so scared, we were so nervous. Every time you made a peep, For the first year of your life, I would sprint up to your room to make sure you're still alive. I was so stressed out all the time, but you're worth it because I love you. You know what? You're expensive. My gosh, you're expensive, all right? You just broke something while I was talking to you, all right? But you're worth it because I love you. Without the grit, without the grime, we don't have the depth or the love or the beauty. We do the same thing with Easter, my son is two, as I said, he's gonna be turning three in September. So go ahead and start saving your money for some gifts. Uh, and, uh, and he, you know, as, as we talked about Easter, we try to like let him know what's happening. And, and I tell a much cleaner, simple story to him. Then it's true. I, you know, I say like, well, Jesus came into Jerusalem and they were all excited to see him. They started waving branches in the air and and you know then then he, he went and he he got a Chick fil A tray for his for his boys right and and they hung out and it was awesome. And then you know what? Uh, one of them was asked if he knew Jesus and and he got kind of embarrassed because some stuff had happened right and and so he said no and and this rooster crowed and he was really sad about it. And then Jesus went on trial and and they found him guilty. I don't know of. What, But they just found him guilty, right? and So people, you know, they they roughed him up a little bit. Then they nailed him on the cross, all right. So that was bad, and and he died. But then he like came out of the grave, and I tell him that story. Is that true? Yes. But but the grit and the grime from that story is missing. The ugliness of Easter is missing, and so at the same time, we're missing the beauty of Easter. And so today what I would like to do is I would like to look at the ugliness of Easter. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, right? It's a triumphant victory as he comes in. People are so excited to see him. You know, they're throwing palm branches down. You know, they're, they're taking their coats off and throwing them under his donkey as he rides in. And people are so excited, they're, they're running up and down and they're screaming and they're jumping and I don't, I don't know that kind of excitement, you know what I mean? I, don't, I haven't really been to a party like that before and they're going crazy and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. So they're thinking Jesus has come, finally, I'm done with the Romans, right? They're, we're going to have our own state, he's going to kick Caesar on his, on his behind, right? And we're going to have our day, this is going to be awesome, right? And they start to listen to Jesus and... Jesus went into the temple and, and he cursed it. And I thought that's hold up. It's a little weird. He started talking about forgiving and loving and turning the other cheek and going the extra mile for their captors. That's it's a little weird. Jesus, I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know how you going to turn over the Romans that way. It's not a great fighting strategy. Oh yeah, hit me again, right? I don't know how that's going to work. And he started saying things about the son of man must die so he said I don't I don't know if I trust this guy anymore and then Jesus was arrested and all these people that were worshiping and and throwing the, the palm branches down throwing their coats down they started saying you liar you liar what a fool I was to believe you and they're angry so they call they start calling for his head they start saying crucify him Give us a criminal. I don't care. Release a rapist. I don't care. But you kill him. He lied to me. What a fool I was. This isn't so beautiful, right? Jesus was a victim of of some fickle love. Jesus was the victim of people trying to to use him. And then we move on and we have this beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper. You know, what, what was the last thing? Jesus said before they started the dinner, was it everybody on this side of the table for the picture? Was that what he said? We have this beautiful picture of them having dinner. Did you just get it? We have this beautiful picture of them having dinner and um, no one washes Jesus' feet. No one. And you think, well, okay, doesn't Jesus wash their feet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The disciples didn't deserve their feet being washed. Who cares about the disciples? No one washed Jesus' feet. You know what they were doing? They're sitting there arguing about who's going to be greater in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus sets up a new kingdom, my house is going to be bigger than yours, Peter. Ain't nothing you're going to do about it, bro. You know? Hey, 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 Jesus. I know, I know, whatever. We'll get to the food. Listen, James. I'm not. I'm not even. I wouldn't use the bathroom in your mansion. All right. Like I, mine is just gonna be. I'm gonna park my cars on your lawn. Get with that, right? And they're arguing about how great they are. And so what Jesus does is, he takes his clothes off and and he puts on a towel, and he starts washing their feet. Now look, I don't know what it's like to walk everywhere. All right. My parents, when I turned 16, got me the first Honda Accord ever made. And I have not walked since, right? I love that little green machine. I've not walked since. I don't know what that's like. But I imagine if there are animals around, it's probably not wonderful. I have a great dame. You do not want to walk through my backyard. Let me just warn you on that, all right? I can't imagine what their feet were like. And Jesus is down there washing their feet, and then he takes the towel he's wearing and dries their feet. They were selfish completely selfish, to the point where Jesus became selfless, or displayed his selflessness. He was always selfless, and he had to wash their feet because of their selfishness. Then we look at um, the rooster. Jesus is going to pray, right? He knows he's about to be betrayed. He already sent Judas away. He said, Judas, you go and do what you got to do. And so he goes off, and he knows I'm about to be betrayed, so he starts praying, and he's literally, he's, he's in anguish, okay? Like he's in anguish. He's literally, he, he's sweating blood. He's so stressed that the blood capillaries are bursting and he's sweating blood, right? He's just in anguish, just exhausted. And he says to his disciples, would you pray with me? If there's ever a moment I needed you to pray with me, I need you to pray with me now. And they didn't care. They went to sleep. He's bleeding. And they went to sleep. And he said, would you please pray with? wake up, pray with me. And he's in tears and he's in agony. And they went to sleep. And then the soldiers came to arrest him. Jesus even at that point displayed his power. When he answered them, they fell on the ground. Jesus has still got the upper hand, right? What do his disciples do? Yeah, that's right. You're not taking him without a fight. We're behind him 100%, all right? If you're going to take him, you're going to take us. What did they do? They ran. They abandoned him. They betrayed him. One of them was grabbed by his coat, and he just took it off and just ran naked to get away from him. Jesus was betrayed and abandoned. In fact, right after that, Peter runs. Away. and you can imagine how guilty he feels now. Like, I abandoned Jesus. After all he's done for me, may I, I never betray him again. May I never abandon him again. He's questioned three times by people. Hey, uh, aren't you that guy that was traveling with Jesus? And he's, no. no I don't, no. I wouldn't me. I don't know him. And then as Jesus told him it would happen, the rooster crowed three times. Jesus was abandoned and betrayed. Then he goes to trial, if you can call it that. He goes to six trials in a matter of hours. At the first trial, Jesus said, if, you spoken, if I've spoken evil, would you just tell me? Or, or tell me why you're hitting me at least. And, and they, they say nothing. They send him to another trial. Some false witnesses show up, right? And they say, yeah, I saw Jesus about three o'clock he was doing something bad and then someone else came along and said I saw Jesus it was two o'clock and he was doing something else bad right and their stories they they didn't even match up they were conflicting it was obvious lies right and then they asked him he said well look okay all right we're okay those might not be true testimonies are you the Christ and he says yes so they beat him seems fair the third trial, they ask him again, are you the Christ? He says, yes. They deliver him to Pilate, the Roman governor, to be killed. He says, that's all we got to hear. You're a dead man. Then he goes before Pilate. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you said it. You said it. And then he questioned him more and more, and Jesus didn't answer him. To the point where Pilate, he's speechless. He can't believe this. And they send him away. They send him to Herod. Herod questions him. Jesus is silent before Herod. Again, fulfilling more and more prophecy, standing silent before Herod. Herod dresses him up in a purple robe and beats him and mocks him and sends him back to Pilate. Pilate and his wife want to release Jesus. They recognize there's nothing wrong with him. He's a peaceful man. He's done nothing wrong. They want to release him, but he doesn't. Instead, they give the crowd an option and they say, look, you can have Barabbas, okay, Barabbas is a, is a known murderer. Just, the, just a piece of garbage, this man right here. You can have him or you can have Jesus. And what do they say? We want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. He says, what, what do I do with Jesus? They say, kill him. Crucify him. So they send him off. They beat him and send him off to die. These trials just took a few hours. I uh, got a speeding ticket a long time ago. Obviously, it was a police officer's fault, not mine. And as I go into the courtroom, I was there for hours, hours, waiting to pay my stupid little fine, right? Like, I just want to get out of there, all right? I'm going to speed when I leave here because you've made me so late, right? I was done with it. I was there for hours, just for that. Jesus is sentenced to death with no evidence, no reason in a matter of hours, probably less than what it took for me to pay for that speeding ticket that was unjust, right? No one defended him. No one fought for him. It was a joke. Jesus experienced great injustice. Then we talk about the cross. This is one maybe we do a, a better job of, right? Because it's, it's a symbol of execution. It's hard to dress that up, right? You can make it out of silver, gold, whatever. It's still a symbol of execution, and so, you know, we talk about nails and things like that. It's not, a, it's not a pretty picture ever. But there's an even realer picture. Jesus is led to the cross. He's mocked. He's ridiculed. He's nailed to it, right? They settle the cross in the ground. His weight settles and pulls on those nails. And he begins to suffocate, slowly suffocate, while he hangs there on the cross. And it's probably the greatest pain he's ever felt, a greater pain than, than I've ever felt but the greatest pain was this, our sin and our shame was put on his shoulders at that point. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Isaiah 53.4, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Our sin and our shame is on Him at this point on the cross, and the wrath of God for our sin and our shame is poured out by the Father onto His own Son. Jesus prayed in the garden, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That cup is what? God's wrath. God is just, our sin must be punished, otherwise God is not just, and if God is not just, God is not God. And so he pours his wrath out onto his son, and Jesus took it. In that moment, he was the loneliest man who's ever walked this earth. In that moment, our sin on him separated him from perfect communion with the Father Mark 15, at the, the three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus endured loneliness, shame, and separation from God, and the wrath of God for our sin. We think about the tomb. We skip, great, we skip right to his resurrection. That's wonderful. I stand here today because he's resurrected. That's fantastic. But the reality is, he had to get there how? He died. Jesus died. It wasn't a trick okay? He didn't just hold his breath. He didn't David blame it, all right? He was dead. No life, no air coming in and out of his lungs. He gave up his life willingly. His heart stopped beating. His muscles relaxed. His skin became waxy and started to change colors. The enzymes in his body began to consume tissue. His eyes sank in. His fingernails and his hair became frail and rigor mortis set in. His body temperature lowered and then matched the area around him. His face was no longer easily recognizable as it began to sink his body smelled. He was dead. Dead. And he was dead in a borrowed tomb. They they didn't even have a place for him. It wasn't like, you know what? Jesus gets our best. No, no, no. Someone came up and said, he can use mine. He was dead. He died. It seems to me, when we uh, tell the story of Easter, We make it pretty, and you know what, there's a lot of ugliness there. And without this ugliness, I don't know if I even would like this story. Because without this ugliness, we don't get the beauty. Does this story sound familiar? I don't mean Easter. I don't mean like, do I know about Jesus? Well, yeah, I'm in a church, aren't I? I don't mean that. But does this story sound familiar because this is our story. And you say, hold up, I don't, no one's ever thrown a party for me where they sang to me, alright? They didn't? You never had a birthday? No one, I, I've never ridden a donkey, alright? I never had this, this weird washing feet moment, alright? This isn't my story. It actually is. And let me explain the palm branch Jesus had people trying to use him he had people who were fickle in their affection toward him have you ever experienced people trying to take advantage of you you've never experienced that I heard a story about this uh uh, ex-pro golfer who was he's a real jerk and he was going around to to different golf courses he was hustling people right Uh, and he was hustling them you know 50 bucks a hole 100 bucks a hole he went to this one golf course, this blind man was sitting there, and he, he, he recognized the voice of the man and, and heard him trying to hustle people, and the blind man said, I'll play you, but I'll play you for a hundred bucks a hole. Like I said, you're blind, like I don't, no, I don't think so, all right, like I don't, I'm not just going to take your money, right? And he said, no, no, no. I was, a, I was a pro golfer at one point. I, I, I lost my sight. This is my my home, right? This is my home course. I, I know this course uh, better than anybody in this world. I'll beat you, right? And the hustler said, all right. Don't say I didn't warn you. It's 100 bucks a hole. When do you want to play? And the blind man said, any night this week. Any night this week. You know, and so, so maybe... Maybe it's a work situation. People try to use you, take advantage of you. Maybe it's a boss who regularly takes credit for things that you're doing. Or maybe it's a relationship where someone demanded too much of you. Or, or we've all been taken advantage of. And, and, and really, we've all been the culprit at times too. We've been the guilty party, taking advantage of others. And Have you ever experienced someone whose affection toward you was fickle and fleeting like Jesus did? Maybe you thought someone really cared about you they didn't. When I was uh, in college, I was in a, a fraternity and in my junior year, I was the president of the fraternity and, and uh, there was this thing where we went and we welcomed the freshmen and all the presidents of the fraternities and the sororities would welcome the freshmen and it was required for them to go. All, so everybody was there, okay? And so uh, I went up there and introduced myself, right? And, uh, and then after that, um, the freshman girls all of a sudden started paying attention to me. And I start going, well, 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 you know, like I'm thinking like finally someone recognizes how well I've been put together, you know, and I, I and so it doesn't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what's going on because I'm an idiot, right? And so all of a sudden everywhere I go, I'm in the calf or whatever, and all of a sudden a, a freshman girl will walk up to me, hi, you're Grant, right? And I'm like, who? Uh, yes, right, you know, and, and I didn't get it, right? here's the thing our fraternity every year would select a freshman girl and we would we would make her what we call our sweetheart and she would she would become an honorary member of our fraternity we would put all of our attention and affection on her so you know what happened we elected our sweetheart you know who started getting ignored again this guy right i thought what in the what what i'm just as beautiful as always was right like like what in the world happened they didn't want me their affection was fickle and fleeting, right? I gave in to none of them, baby. I want you to know that. <laughs> Have you ever felt unlovable because of that? Because you've been a victim of someone's fickle love and fickle affection. We know what it's like to be victim of fickle feelings, and so does Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus was surrounded by selfishness. This is all over our culture. In our culture, probably one of the greatest thinkers of our time, uh, Ricky Bobby said this, if you ain't first, you're last, right? It's true though, right? Like that's how our culture works. If you ain't first, you're last. How many of you at work have gone up to your boss and said, you know that promotion I'm up for? Bob deserves it. Great guy. You know what I mean? Like, no. You go to your boss, hey, you know that promotion I'm up for with Bob? Bob hit your car on the way in here. I don't know. Like I was, I, was, I wasn't going to say anything, but I don't think that's right. You know what I mean? Like, that's our culture, like push yourself ahead, right, get above others, and seriously, it's, it's how our culture works, I was in Walmart recently, and I was in the self-checkout line, it was a Saturday afternoon, uh, again, I'm an idiot, so I went to Walmart on a Saturday afternoon, and the, the line for the self-checkout was just out the door, right, and so I'm in this line, and, and of course, the first thing I scan, the machine's like, you did it wrong, you need help, 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 right, and everyone's was doing that. Everybody's was doing that. And there was one employee working all six of those registers. And he was like 19 or something. And he had no idea what he was doing. And he was terrified. And he walks up to me and he said, uh, uh, and he's hitting the buttons. He's like, it's my first day. And I was like, uh, uh. All right, man, that's fine. Just, uh, okay, it's cool. So he's doing it. And then he goes back to this other lady, right? And he's helping her. Then he runs back to me. And then there's this other man over here. And he says, what about me, right? And he goes over and starts berating this kid, right? Just, just giving it all he's got. And then this lady steps up. And I was like, yeah, lady, come to his defense. And she steps She goes, hey, hey, excuse me. Hey, you leave him alone. He's helping me right now, all right? My register. I've got important stuff over here, a guy get to the hospital, get over there, right? And it was just selfish and crazy. So I just put my items in my pocket and I left, you know what I mean? Like what else would you do in that moment? <laughs> but in ourselves, like there's selfishness that just runs rampant in our own lives. The, the people I care about the most, I have the least amount of patience for. Why? Because I'm selfish. They should know better. When I come home, you know, I just want to sit down, I want to put my feet up, right? I've had a long day. You, if you, hey, you work with Brother John. I'm just telling you, right? So I just want to go home. I just want to kick my feet up. You know what I mean? Just relax. My, my wife should, you know, bring me a, something refreshing to drink, right? A two-year-old should rub my feet. That's how it should work, right? And so when I come home and is frustrated because all three kids have just been pooping in sequence, I don't understand. I'm like, Angela, what's wrong with you? You know what I You know what I had to put up with today? You know, we're selfish. And that's all in us. And it, it, we, we live that way. And we know what it's like to be a victim of other people's selfishness. So does Jesus. Jesus was betrayed and abandoned. Have you betrayed someone? I have. I, I've betrayed people's confidence. You know, I, a lot of times, like, like, my friends will be sitting around and we'll be talking about you know, marriage and all these things, and I'll be talking about how wonderful and beautiful my wife is, and, and they'll be saying their things, right? And, uh, and, 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 and sometimes I don't, I don't keep as tight of a wrap on that as I should, you know? I took, I took a, a something I learned from Chris Ellison. He told me, um, he always says, you know, I, I'm not going to tell her you said that, but I might ask her if she knows, you know? So that's kind of what I, I've adopted maybe, you know like hanging out with our friends one of my friends said you know we're talking about communication with their wives he says I haven't talked to my wife in 18 months and I said why and he says I don't want to interrupt her you know and, and I might have betrayed his confidence I might have put that out there right have you ever been abandoned for some of you I realize this is going to be an incredibly painful um, and personal point but have you been abandoned maybe you've been the person who've abandoned others you've run out on people I know that can be painful have you been abandoned by I mean, a father, a mother, a spouse, a loved one? Have you felt that? I don't know what that's like. Praise God, I don't know what that's like. Jesus does. His story is our story. The crown of thorns, Jesus experienced incredible injustice. There's injustice all around us. There's a little bit of justice in our world, right? Kentucky lost in the first round of the NIT. There's justice, right? But there's also injustice. Injustice. And what is injustice? Injustice is the absence of justice. Thank you. I went to college. It's the absence of justice. It's wrong. It's just wrong. That's what it is. I'm not suggesting you've been convicted of a crime you didn't commit like Jesus, but there are wrongs all around us. In Tennessee, 25% of children are food insecure. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. A quarter of the children who live in our state don't know where their next meal is coming from. That's, that's wrong. 16%. Of people in our state are under the poverty line. That's wrong. 9% are unemployed. That's wrong. 1.2 million babies are killed a year under abortion. That's wrong. There's injustice all over. We're surrounded by injustice. Jesus was too. On the cross, Jesus took our shame and became separated from the Father. We all know this. We've all lived this. All of us have been born into sin, immediately separated from God. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. If you don't believe that you're born with sin, my two-year-old will just knock my one-year-old out over Thomas the Train, all right? Like, we have sin, right? That's in our lives. So we know the shame of that. We know the shame of sin. You all know that shame. Have you ever thought, I'm such a loser. I'm such a screw-up. God could never love me. God could never forgive me. I'm too far gone. I'm too bad. Your sin was put on Jesus. He understands your shame. In the tomb Jesus died, we're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. You know, I, I just hope if I see it coming, I face it bravely. I heard some pretty manly quotes as some people that faced their death, and it was just like, ugh. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it was just a guttural response, was all I had. This guy, uh, Giles Corley, he was a farmer accused of being a witch, and they put him under a, a big plank of wood, and they started putting stones on him to crush him to death, hoping he would confess to be a witch so then they could burn him to death. Really good system they had. And so, as they're putting the weight on him, uh, here are his last words more weight. You know what I mean? Like, that's a man right there. You know what I mean? Like, that's all you got. That's what I hope I've got. I heard one, Kit Carson, uh, he has taken the place of Chuck Norris in my heart uh, after this. This was was his last words. Not, I love my wife. Tell my kids I love them. Nothing like this. Here's what it is. I just wish I had time for one more bowl of chili. How manly is that, right? That guy... That guy died with hair on his chest. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's some good stuff. But you know what? We're all going to face death. The last time I checked, and I'm not great with numbers, but the last time I checked, the death rate among Americans is 100%. All right? Like, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll have someone double check that, right? My statistician. Someone get on that. All right? So we will all face it. And so did Jesus. He understands. So Jesus lived our story. Why? the reality is we deserve this story. He didn't. We deserve it. You know, I heard RC Sproul was talking about this. Someone said, why do, why do bad things always happen to good people? He says, that only happened once, and he volunteered, right? We all deserve this. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one's good. None of us. None of us are good. None of us are perfect. God is holy. We're not. Have you kept the perfect standard of holiness? No. None of us are good. And here's what the Bible says in Romans six twenty three: The wages of sin is death. We deserve this. We deserve it. Jesus didn't deserve our story, but listen, he chose it. He chose our story. Why? There's two reasons why. Number one, we can't change our stories. He can. He can change our stories. You know why? Because on that third day, he rose. On that third day, the fluid started returning in his body. His heart began pumping again. Oxygen went in his nose, into his lungs, and began to to fill him. His skin returned to a sun-worn olive. The color returned to his eyes. His muscles softened. He got up, and he walked out. He can change our stories. He has the power of life and death. He can change your story. I'm too far gone. He has the power of life and death. Who are you to tell him you can't change my story? Because of that, he's defeated death and now we have life. First Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No longer are you defined by your sin and who you used to be but you can be new. Second Corinthians says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So Jesus chose our story, the ugliness of our story, because we can't change our story. And by living it and dying and resurrecting, he can. He can change our story. Second reason, love. Love. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Listen. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you so much. He looked at us and he said, look, they're they're separated from me by their own stupid decisions. Their own sin. I told them my way's better. I've shown them my way's better. But they've chosen this. They've chosen death. But you know what? I love them too much. I'm going to get them. I'm going to go rescue them. And he came in to our lives. He says, I've come that they may have life into the full. What kind of love is this? I heard a story um, just yesterday, actually, the story of an American businessman. This happened many years ago. He's traveling to the Mideast, and he was uh, taken uh, captive by a, uh, he got lost and ended up in a country he shouldn't have been, Um, and he got taken captive by the sultan. And um, he said, you know what, sultan, would you please release me? Please don't keep me here the rest of my life. I have a fiance at home and it would break her heart if I didn't return. She couldn't stand to live without me. So if you're not going to have mercy on me, have mercy on her. Please release me. And the sultan said, I don't believe in love. He says, but I'll give you a test. Let's send a letter. You tell me where she lives. Send a letter to her address and I'll tell her that I have you. And then as she'll cut off her ring finger and send it to me, they don't release you. So they sent the letter. And while they sent the letter, the sultan mocked him for weeks and months. Why don't you just give up this hope? She obviously doesn't love you. She loves her ring finger more. You, you just give up hope. She's moved on, guy. There's no such thing as love. And one day they get a package in the mail and there's a letter with it. It's from his fiance. And it said, I didn't like the idea of giving up a finger for my fiance. Open the box. They opened the box, and it was her whole hand. And it said, I didn't like the idea of giving up a finger for my fiancé because it didn't seem like enough. Jesus gave up much more than a finger, much more than a hand. He gave everything, everything. And you say, how do I know that God loves me? This ugliness behind me, that's how. He gave everything. Here's the reality, he was never out of control. He said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. When he died, he didn't slip into death. He walked into it. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What does that mean? He let himself die. No one took his life, at any point he could have said no. I'm done with this. At any point, he could have said, forget these people. At any point, he could have said, forget these guys. At any point, he could have said, they've abandoned me, so I'll abandon them. At any point, he could have said, this is a joke. This isn't fair. I deserve more. At any point, when that first nail went in, he could have said, no, too much, too much pain. After the first hour, I'm out of here. After the second hour, I'm gone. After the third, and he sees death right there, he could have said, no, no more, but He didn't. He willingly gave Himself for you. It's incredible. So by living the ugliness of our story in Easter, and because He rose again, He's brought us the beauty of Easter. By enduring the fickle love of people, he brings you the unfailing love of God, Psalm 13, 5. But I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. By enduring the selfishness of others, he's brought us the selflessness of God, because in him you have value. Philippians 2, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. By enduring the betrayal of others, he brings us the faithfulness of God. Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Romans 8 says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels or demons, fears or today, nor worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. By enduring injustice, He brings us justice and He will make Make all things right. Isaiah 30, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Romans 12, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And he works all things together for our good. And we know that in all things, Romans 8, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. On the cross, by enduring the shame and separation of the cross, He brings us forgiveness and reconciliation. We're forgiven. Ephesians 1, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can stand against me in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, in Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence because we're forgiven and we're reconciled. Galatians 3, 26. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. You went from being an enemy of God in your sin to a child of God. Isn't that incredible? And the tomb: by enduring death, He's risen and defeated it and brought us life. There's nothing to fear about death anymore. Second Corinthians 5 yes, we're fully confident, and we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we're going to be at home with the Lord. I know that I'll be with the Lord. There's nothing to fear in this life anymore. Look what Paul says in Philippians. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, whatever I do, Jesus is with me. If I die, I go to be with him. If I stay, he's here with me anyway. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live with him. If I die, I'm going to go be with him. There's nothing to fear anymore. Jesus said it. He says, I'm with you always. To the very end of the age. So because Jesus endured the ugliness of Easter, we get the beauty. He says, you're loved. He says, you have value. He says, I'll never leave you. He says, I will make things right. He says, I will take your punishment, and you're forgiven. He says, I'm alive, so you're alive. Amen. Is this automatic? Some churches might be preaching that today, and Lord, be in those places. But is this automatic? Matthew 7:21 says that there will be people who will stand before God, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, they'll say, I know you. And he'll say, go away from me. I never knew you. And they'll say, but God, like, look, I wasn't just a a Sunday attender. I cast out demons in your name. I prophesied. I did great works. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. What he's going to basically say is, you tried to get to me the wrong way. I wasn't there. I'm not in your works. That's not how you find me. So what does God require of us? Would you look at the scripture as we close? Isaiah 55, six through seven. Listen, do you want the beauty of Easter in your life? Do you want to be called a child of God? Do you want to be forgiven and made new? Look at Isaiah 55. Here's what's required. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What does it say? What's required of you? Forsake your ways, return to the Lord. What does that mean? Trust God with your life. Say to God, you know what? My way isn't working and surrender your life to him. Say, you know what? I'm not going to live for myself anyway. I'm not going to try to just make it to heaven. I'm not just going to try to to work and be really, really good because God, I can't be good. You're good. You're the only good. And so I'm going to trust what you did on the cross for me. I'm going to ask your forgiveness, and my life is now your life. Romans 10:13 promises this. Listen, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you in everyone? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the result? Look what the Bible says. Look what we just read. What does it say in Isaiah? What's the result? Compassion and abundantly pardon. Do you understand what that means? When you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, here's me, here's how I'm messed up, like here's my brokenness, here's the depth of my heart that, you, that, that no one else knows about me. Here's my deepest, darkest secret. Here's what the Bible says. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, gr- get out of my face. He doesn't look at you and say, I'm gonna judge you. I'm gonna beat you. What does he say? What does it say? Compassion. He has compassion. His heart breaks for you. He doesn't kindle his anger heart breaks for you compassion and then what you'll be abundantly pardoned not just pardon abundantly pardoned here's what the bible says but what god will do with your sin psalm 103 he's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west do you get that God's going to remove your sin. And you say, but you don't know what I did. You're right, I don't. But the master of life and death does, and he promises if you call on his name, it will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Abundantly pardoned. Brand new. And the Bible even says that you'll have an advocate to the Father. Jesus will stand on your behalf and he'll say, he's mine, she's mine. I know what they did, but she's mine, she's mine. It's incredible. And you might say this, I'm I'm too bad. I'm just too bad. You don't know what I've done, you don't know where I've been. What does the Bible say here in Isaiah 55? The wicked and the unrighteous man. Are you not in that category? Are you so bad that you exceed the definition of wickedness? No one does. No one. And you say, it's too late for me, (laughs) I'm too far gone. Listen to the first part of Isaiah 55, read it with me one last time. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. It's too late for you? You have now. Are you hearing my words? You have now. You have right now. Seek the Lord while he's near. He's near now. You're here. You're hearing the gospel. You're hearing the good news. You're hearing how you can come to him and how he wants to give you a new life. You're here now. Respond. Amen. Respond. Um, we're about to sing a song. We're about to respond in song. I don't know what the, the Lord's done in you today. I don't, I don't know what He said to you today. For some of you, there's some of you who are, are Christians, you're believers. You've, you've laid your life down uh, at Jesus' feet, and, and He's your Lord. You live for Him. Uh, today, may, maybe we respond in song, and we just worship. Man, how awesome is that? That Jesus submitted to the point of death, death on a cross, and now He's alive. It's awesome. So let's just respond in song. For some of you, for others, and room this size, I know you're here. You haven't submitted your life to Jesus. You might be super religious. Cool. You might be a good person as we define it. Cool. You could teach Sunday school. Awesome. Heck, you could be going to seminary right now. Cool. It's a cool place. What does God require of you? To go to seminary? No. Sunday school? No. To be in church every Sunday? No. What does God want? He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants you to turn from your ways, trying to do it your way. He wants you to turn to His. That's it. And if you call on the name of the Lord today, what does the Bible say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is what? Will be saved. You'll be given a new life. You'll be his child, no longer an enemy, but a child. It's incredible. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask um, if you're in this room, and maybe you've thought um, this whole time, maybe the Lord's been talking to you, and you've been thinking, "Man, man, I, I, I haven't really submitted my life to Jesus. I, I don't know if I'm really his follower." I don't know if I'm really forgiven if I'm new I I mean I'm maybe I've done the church thing maybe I haven't but I don't know I I just don't know if if I'm his today but I want to I want to submit my life to him I want something new with every head bowed and eyes closed would you raise your hand just be honest just raise your hand that's you and you say I just don't know I want it. I want this new life. I just don't know. Just raise your hand so I can see you. I'll pray for you. I see your hands. You can put those down. I see you. You can put it down. If that's you, I'd like for you to just simply say a prayer to God. This prayer isn't magic. It's not going to save you. You know what's going to save you? The attitude of your heart right now. The fact that this is what you want. Would you just tell Him that? Would you just tell them that's what you want? Would you just say, God, I don't want to live my way anymore. Would you just say, God, you know, I I want to be your follower. I want to submit my life to you. I need your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. Would you come into my life and change it and change me? Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. If you pray that prayer, if that was something you just said or the Lord just led you to, the Bible promises that you're now a child of God and a child of God forever. No one can snatch you out of his hand. It's incredible. You've been made new. The Bible says you went from death to life. We're going to sing and we're going to respond. and I'm going to be down front and, and I'm going to ask our, our elders, the elders that are in the stream, if you'll come down front as well and, and we'll be here to greet you. If you need to make a decision today, if if you've just prayed that prayer with me and we'd like to help you know what's next, what's the next step, how can you be like Gianna this morning, how can I be baptized, we'd like to talk to you about that. If you've made some other decision and you need prayer, you just need to talk through it, Maybe, maybe the Lord's raised some questions in you, I don't know. You just respond however the Lord's calling you to respond. Christians in this room, if you need to come forward, kneel and pray, come forward, kneel and pray. You do whatever you got to do. Let's just respond to the Lord in this time. Be faithful to what he's telling you to do. Lord Jesus, have your way now. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?